If you will, before you are seated, take your Bibles and let's turn to Acts chapter 6. And we'll be looking at verses 8 through 15. Acts 6, verses 8 through 15. The word of the Lord says to us in verse 8, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace today and for the public reading of Scripture. And we pray, God, that you would minister to us through the Word. God, that the Word would be anointed and that it would touch our hearts and that we would invest ourselves for the cause of the gospel. We thank you for these things, and we praise you, and we love you, Lord, and we are grateful for your redeeming grace in our life. And we just ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord, and you may be seated. I don't frequently share a title. I title each of the messages. I don't frequently share it. But this morning, just to kind of give you an idea, it's a journey through Acts from conflict to catalyst. From conflict to catalyst. When we look here in uh, this passage in Acts chapter 6, and we look at the life of Stephen, we kind of were introduced to him last week and uh, began to see sort of a little bit of what was going on in the life of Stephen and what God was calling him to do. And as we read through the entirety of the chapter, what we find is that Stephen is a man, the scripture says, that is full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and that is full of grace and of power. And the, the fullness, the culmination of his ministry is really found in Acts chapter 7. And so you're actually going to have to wait a few months for us to get into that because we'll have a special message next week uh, that will focus our hearts in toward prayer. And then we'll work through uh, the Advent season focusing on Christmas. And in January, I have a series of messages that I want to share with you that will sort of start us out. And we won't get to Acts chapter 7 until the first Sunday of February, Lord willing. But I encourage you to go ahead and read that because what you will get is a sense of understanding of the ministry of Stephen and what God had 
called him to do. Uh, I believe that Stephen in Acts chapter 7 is really speaking prophetically when we get to that, and he is bringing an indictment against the religious leaders of that day because of their consistent rejection of the Lord. They had rejected the prophets, they had disobeyed the law, and the height of their disobedience was rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see in the beginning of Stephen's ministry that he was called to sort of manage this conflict between uh, widows, some of whom were native to Jerusalem and others who had come in from outside of Jerusalem. And Stephen was one of seven who was called to help manage that uh, conflict. But that wasn't all that God had called him to do. And we see at the beginning of Acts chapter 6, that conflict And you compare that to the conflict that was to come with the religious leaders, it's two very different times. The first one is an issue or a concern that is within the body of believers. And the second one is a concern that is with the body of believers as a whole and the people who exist outside of the church. So you have this internal conflict at the beginning of chapter 6, and then this external conflict at the end of chapter 6. And for us, when we think about that, sometimes it's difficult for us to discern the difference between sort of what is going on inside the church and what might be going on outside the church. For instance, here at the end of chapter 6, you have religious leaders that are involved in this conflict, but they're not really believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were people who were participating in religious uh, rituals. They thought they were worshiping God, but they had failed to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Stephen was specifically persecuted because of the message that he preached and the work of the Spirit in power and in wisdom through him. His life and his ministry teach us to that there is a clash between two eternal perspectives. There's a clash between two eternal perspectives. Those who are willing to kill, assassinate, destroy in order to keep power, and those who desire to push forward the gospel message. What you and I have to understand is that when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are participating in a battle. You are participating in a war, and you have to have the mindset that that is happening. So from that point on of stepping into Christ, every situation, every challenge, every circumstance in your life is related to that relationship with Jesus. And every crisis moment, it's a battle that's either going to build you up in your faith, or it's going to pull you away from the Lord. Because the enemy is fighting to pull you away, and the Lord is fighting to take every circumstance, every situation, in order to strengthen you, in order that you can help to share the message of hope with others. Exactly what we did here this morning. What did you hear in these testimonies that were shared this morning? You didn't hear someone say, everything has always been good in my life. Everything has always been positive. Everything has always 
always been perfect. That's not what you heard this morning. But what you did hear this morning is an understanding that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though there's difficulty, though there is challenge, I have held on to Jesus, and Jesus has proved faithful. As I've walked through life and I've seen in my life, it seems that maybe I've been hurt by someone or this difficulty has come my way. When I've pushed myself into the Lord, what I have found in Jesus is a hope and a peace that no one else or nothing else could provide me. So there is a clarity for the believer that when you walk through the trials of life, when you're in a situation that is full of conflict and is full of difficulty, that God is able to use that for your good and his glory as he has done in the life of Stephen. You and I, within the church, we must be willing to strive for peace, but what we must also understand is that conflict with the world system outside of the church is inevitable. There is going to be a time when some edict by some state official comes down, and the church is going to have to say, do we obey man or do we obey God? What do we do here? And there's going to be some who are within the church who say, oh, we need to go along and get along. And there's going to be others who say, no, we have to stand firm upon this. And the church has to make a choice. But as we take a stand and as we focus our heart on the Lord, we will see through the life of Stephen here in the latter portion of Acts chapter 6, and I think application that we can make to our own life is that when we encounter this conflict and we walk through it faithfully and we walk through it for God's glory, that God is able to use it for the good of the church and for the furtherance of the gospel. And I think when we look at Stephen's life, there are three things that I think are important for us to think about. One, we see that Stephen's life or Stephen's calling arose out of conflict. His very calling came out of conflict. Stephen's anointing and his message incited conflict. His anointing and his message incited conflict. And finally, the mission that the Lord had given to Stephen utilized that conflict for the furtherance of the gospel. Stephen's mission utilized that conflict for the furtherance of the gospel. In the beginning of Acts chapter 6, Stephen, when we first see who he is and Luke first introduces us to him, which is really a, when you read through the book of Luke and you read through Acts, what you see is Luke will kind of give you a taste of someone, give you kind of a piece of who someone is that he's going to bring back into the story later on in a greater way. And that's what he's done here at the beginning of Acts chapter 6, is he gave us a taste of who Stephen was. And so you have the uh, Hellenistic Jews, again, those were widows at the beginning of chapter 6 that were most likely born outside of Jerusalem, that had come into Jerusalem, were living in Jerusalem, were part of the church. And you have the Hebraic widows, who were the ones who were the, the, the native Hebrews who lived in Jerusalem. And there was this 
conflict between these groups of widows that the ones from the Gentile uh, background, more of a Gentile culture, weren't being fed properly in the daily distribution of food. And so what they did, they chose seven people from among that group of those who were of the Gentile Jewish background, and they chose them in order to minister to that group of people. So we've got the Gentile Jewish widows, And people from Gentile Jewish backgrounds are chosen to minister to that specific group of people. And Stephen was one of those. Out of that conflict between those group of people, Stephen was called to serve. The conflict put Stephen in a place of leadership. We don't probably think of waiting tables as a place of leadership, do we? But it was the first step that God had in the life of Stephen to put him in a place where he was visible, to put him in a place where he was active and he was working. Waiting tables to distribute food was not Stephen's final calling, but it was the door through which opportunity came. And what I would encourage you this morning is be willing to step in at any opportunity. As I shared with the first service, if you see it, God is probably calling you to do it. If you see a challenge in the church or you see an area where there needs to be ministry or you see an opportunity that is there, God may be speaking to you to step into the gap and to lead that effort in order to accomplish what God is revealing to you. Be willing to step in. It is probably most likely not going to be a permanent spot for you, but it will be an opportunity to be faithful. I think about Brother David Brown, who came up here. David ushers on Sunday morning, but he's more than an usher. Your calling is more than an usher. I think about this platform that was built and led by Brother Tom Bouch. Tom, your calling is more than a builder. I think about many others of you who have specific places that God has spoken to you in ministry, and maybe you stepped into the stream, but there is something greater that God is calling you to do. And I think you have to look at the life of Stephen and understand that the initial crack in the door is not the fullness of what God has, but you have to put your foot through the door. And when you put your foot through the door, God is faithful to open more opportunity for his glory and for his kingdom. I believe there are oftentimes many missed opportunities because people see roles as unimportant or beneath them. I've interviewed at times for positions uh, within the church where someone coming right out of college would not do the work of ministry at a certain church or at a certain role within the church because it didn't pay enough money. The money wasn't significant enough for them, even if they felt called to do it. Well, I can't do it for that amount of money. Well, step in and maybe God will provide in ways that you hadn't imagined. Because if you only see the person on the signature line of your paycheck as the one providing for you, you've got it all mixed up. Because that's not the one that provides for you. Because though that check might be a little, sister so-and-so might come along and God might speak to her that brother so-and-so needs a blessing from the Lord. 
And God may give to you in other ways, and God may help you in other ways. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen God work in those ways. So we must be willing to step into whatever role God provides. When there's opportunities for us to serve, we must serve. And getting involved in the church community that God has called you to worship in is an opportunity for you to grow spiritually in the grace of the Lord. Stephen had a willingness to step in and to help solve a problem, and that put him in a very powerful position to advance the kingdom. So this conflict that existed with the widows was a catalyst for spiritual growth in Stephen's life. We see this throughout Scripture with Moses and Pharaoh. It pushed Israel to their destiny, the conflict in that situation. Joseph and the conflict with Potiphar and having to go into prison and other things that happened in his life pushed Joseph to his destiny. Daniel and the officials of King Darius put Daniel in a very influential position, even though he found himself in the lion's den. Jesus and the religious leaders, the conflict there pushed Jesus to his ultimate destiny. And the conflict between the widows was the catalyst that pushed Stephen to his ultimate destiny. Your present moment, the challenge in your family, the challenge in your workplace, the challenge within yourself, the challenge between you and the Lord is an opportunity for you to pray to God and to ask him for understanding so that he can push you into the calling that he has for you. The conflict in our world that we are experiencing today, the conflict in our country that we are experiencing today is not a time for the church to sort of sit back and reflect on whatever it means and what is going on and try to flip the channel and this person maybe can step in and solve it or this person can step in and maybe solve it. What God is speaking to us, I believe, by the difficulty in the world system is that the church must be willing to bow its knee and to seek him and to be what Jesus called us to be, which is a house of prayer. We must be a people who day and night is knocking at the door of heaven saying, even so, come Lord Jesus. Corporate prayer has consistently been the precursor to revival. And we see in the book of Joel and we see in the book of Revelation that revival is the precursor to Jesus's return. We want to see the glory of the Lord. We want to see the power of the book of Acts. We want to see it in our midst. You and I must be willing to labor in prayer before the Lord in order to actualize the calling that God has given to us. Because here is what prayer does. When we humble ourselves in prayer, we realize that we cannot, but God can. We realize that it is not within our power or in our ability to change world circumstances, but when we kneel in prayer and we begin to pray and we begin to groan and we begin to cry out to God with words that maybe we don't understand, when we begin to seek him, what we begin to realize in our mind is that God is working. God is doing things for his glory and he is wrapping things up that he would soon return on the clouds of glory. Hear me. 
when we see all of these things going on in our world, it is a call for you and I to be more intentional, more directed, more focused toward our calling as a church, and that is in prayer. Stephen's calling, while it came out of conflict, it was his message and his anointing that also incited conflict. Scripture says in verse 9 of chapter 6, but some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia. Now again, remember the widows were people who he began, Stephen began to minister at that group of people. They were people who were from these areas. They were people who were from these areas of the Cyrene and Alexandria and Cilicia and Asia. These widows were people from that group as well. Stephen was most likely from that group. And now we have this synagogue that we come to find out is actually active within Jerusalem of people who are from other areas. The synagogue of the freedmen, most likely either people whose family had gotten freedom from Rome somehow or uh, released slaves somehow. There was this synagogue of these people that were gathering together. And the pushback on Stephen came from those who were closest to him. The pushback from Stephen came from the same group of people who were from the area that he most likely was from. The people who culturally he was most like. The people whose individuals in the church he was ministering to. The pushback came from those who were closest to him. Scripture says that Stephen was doing two things. He was performing wonders and signs among the people. And he was speaking in wisdom and in power of the Spirit. And that those of the synagogue, they could not compete with his anointing. And so they incited others to twist what he was saying and what he believed. They secretly induced others to say that he spoke blasphemous things. They stirred up the people, the scribes and the elders, and they dragged him before the council and they put false witnesses to accuse him. Stephen's anointing was such an offense to the religious leaders that they did everything they could in order to shut it down. And this was exactly in line with what Israel had historically done to the prophets that were sent to them. They fought them and they killed them. And the power of the Spirit brings division between those who desire to exalt Jesus and those who desire to exalt themselves. Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 56 says this, Jesus speaking, I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father and mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
Then he also said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather, and there it is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you cannot discern this time? What Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture, number one, is that when division comes, when we see discord and division within the earth, it ought to be a sign to us. It ought to speak to us that it's just not random happenstance and the way things have always been, that there is something unique and different about what is going on in the world, and the church must stand up and take note. What Jesus is also speaking in this context is that the Jews had a religious system in which they lived and worked, in which families existed. But when Jesus came, when Jesus came upon the earth and he said that I was Messiah, there was a choice to make at that moment. Were you going to follow Jesus or were you going to stay part of the same old religious system? And it brought division. It brought division within the home. It brought division among the people. Because when you're faced with Jesus, you have to say yes. He is truthful. He is Lord. He is master. He is savior. Or you have to say he is a liar or he didn't exist. There is a choice to make and it brings division. Jesus affirmed that the gospel will bring division even in one's own household. The gospel doesn't make people feel good. It brings conviction and it brings travail. Yes, those of us who are in the church, we long after the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we like to worship together. Yes, we like to exalt God together. But the gospel, when it is preached in power, it does the same thing that happened in the day of Stephen. It draws a stark dividing line between those who are willing to submit and say, oh Lord, forgive me for I have sinned and those who are willing to continue to blaspheme against the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no middle ground. There is only a peace for there is only peace for a believer when they are covered in the power of the Spirit doing the work of Christ. When you and I are convinced of our calling in the Lord and we're willing to step into it in faith, no matter the consequences. It was Stephen's preaching this message, his power, his authority with the scriptures that incited the conflict. It brought a dividing line between him and those who were playing church. It brought a dividing line for those who gave lip service to a Messiah but would not submit in their heart to him. And that conflict helped to fulfill the mission to which Stephen was called. That very conflict helped to fulfill the mission to which Stephen was called. Stephen's mission was not conflict with the religious leaders. But that conflict was a catalyst to move the gospel beyond where it was in Solomon's portico a few chapters ago 
and push the gospel out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. After Stephen preaches in chapter 7, a preview of chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, And on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem arose, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, some devout men, buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul, the one who's going to carry the gospel to the Gentiles, think of the conflict that he's going to exist in. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Understand how the gospel began. It began in the midst of a conflict, of a deep and a powerful conflict where people's lives were at stake. And Stephen preaching the message of the cross and giving his life for the glory of Jesus was a catalyst in order to push it out of Jerusalem and to get it to the Gentile world. Remember, that was the people that Stephen represented. He represented the Gentile world. And you and I are beneficiaries of the message this morning because of what happened so many years ago in the life of Stephen. His willingness to push forward, his willingness to speak the truth, his willingness to bring a dividing line between those who love the Lord and those who are just lovers of themselves. It moved the gospel forward, moved it out into Judea and Samaria, ultimately to Africa, into Western Europe through the Apostle Paul. All of this began because someone was willing to say there is a distinction. There is a distinction between someone who is a follower of Christ and someone who is not. You and I in our day, what I believe uh, we must focus ourselves upon in prayer and in fasting and in longing after the Lord is that God has called us to be a worshiping community. God has called you and I to be part of a worshiping community. And that's why when we speak about just the activities that happen in a church service, because Sunday morning is not the summation of the worshiping community. When you and I are out doing the work of the Lord throughout the week, we're doing it in recognition that we're part of a body that is drawn together. We're doing it connected to one another. And so as we are out and as we're doing the work of the Lord, what we have to recognize is that all aspects from from when we gather together to sing, to when we give, to when the message takes place, all of this is acts of worship to the Lord. Our prayer, our fasting, our acts of worship, a worshiping community. And what we see in the book of Genesis, if you flip all the way back to the beginning of the book, God desires his worship, but there is someone else that desires to steal God's worship. And that is the universal battle that is taking place. That God wants you to worship him and the enemy wants you to worship him. And every one of us at some point or another will make the choice. Are you going to give your life as an act of worship to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you just going to do your own thing? And by doing your own thing, in effect, what you are doing is worshiping the prince and power of this world. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area where maybe you're in, maybe you're not. 
There is just a clarity of division. Read chapter 7 when you get home. Hear the clarity of Stephen's words. The clarity of what he says. He doesn't draw, you killed the prophets. You stoned those who were sent to you. But there is still time to repent, and yet their hearts hardened because they loved their master rather than the Lord. Oftentimes, what I hope you take away this morning is that in your life, as you find yourself in certain situations and you look at the conflict, your tendency is to look at the conflict itself, whether it's between you and a spouse, whether it's between you and your employer, you and, you know, just within yourself about what are you going to do or what's going on in your life. You're tempted to focus in on that. And what I believe this portion of scripture related to Stephen speaks to us is that you and I must lift our eyes during those times and say, God, what are you calling me to do? God, what are you speaking to me? God, what is your plan in this specific situation? God, what are you speaking? Because if you just try in your own human wisdom to solve that particular challenge, what you will find is that you may miss the ability and the desire of the Lord to call you up to a level of greater productivity in his kingdom. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning as we seek the Lord together. Maybe you've been going through a trial of your own and you want others to pray with you and ask the Lord to touch you, to intercede, that you desire for others to intercede on your behalf. And I'm going to ask uh, those of you who are willing to help pray for others, to lead in prayer, to come and to be here at the front, uh, waiting as people may come for prayer this morning. Maybe you are going through a challenging point in your life and you wonder, Lord, how do I get through this? How do I manage this particular circumstance. Maybe you have been focused on the problem instead of focused on the Lord. And God wants to speak to you this morning of how you can walk through this, how you can walk through this trial of life and see his calling and his purpose for you. How that conflict, that particular situation can be the catalyst to what God desires to do in his kingdom through you, your calling, your place of service, your ministry. I want to invite you to come this morning. Find someone here who will pray with you and seek the Lord together. Let's take this moment and earnestly long after the Lord.